Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for this sermon comes from Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 21. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This ends our text. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. These are the words which Jesus spoke to the people at the synagogue in Nazareth after he had read from Isaiah concerning the one anointed by God. At the time when Isaiah was delivering the prophecy of the one anointed, some who were among God's people were less than thrilled about what the prophet had to say. Isaiah met a brutal end to his life. It is believed that he was condemned by King Manasseh and having been found hiding in the trunk of a tree was sawn in half. The book of Hebrews attests to the mistreatment of those saints of old who were faithful to God. When it says in 1137, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. It is fitting then that the one who breaks the darkness with a liberating light, whose rejection and death upon the cross was promised of old, would read from Isaiah's prophecy and then proclaim in his hometown the fulfillment of that prophecy in the midst of those who would mistreat him. He was, after all, anointed by God in the Jordan through John the Baptist. He had stood toe-to-toe with Satan in the desert and had overcome the power of darkness. Now he stood in the midst of those he grew up around, men who knew him as the son of Joseph the carpenter, and he read what the prophet had foretold of his coming. Then he sat down and began to teach them what it meant. He had read those words of prophecy because he was there to tell those people and us who he is and why he came. In the words of Isaiah, the anointed one declared God's favor to us. Good news for us poor sinners. Freedom from the guilt and penalty of our sin. Recovery of our sight so God can be seen for who he is and we can see ourselves for who we are. And release from the oppression of our disbelief. On that day when Jesus proclaimed God's favor to the people of Nazareth, he proclaimed it to you and me as well. Now you and I might look at wealth and poverty as the possession or lack of money another property. It's uh, certainly easy to attach the label of rich or poor to people in accordance with the amount of their personal assets. But if we think about our being alive as an asset, then all mortal people are poor and impoverished. As life slips away from our frail bodies, we lack in ourselves anything that would safeguard and sustain our lives indefinitely. The proclamation of Christ then becomes tremendous good news to someone who is poor and living. By his death and resurrection, Jesus secured everlasting life for all who would believe in him. What's more, Jesus proclaims freedom for the prisoners. 
Now, you and I don't find ourselves locked up in a correction center somewhere for a crime we've committed. But in truth, we've all committed the crime of violating God's commandments. Rather than an external prison of walls and bars, the offense of our sin places us in the internal prison of fearing death and eternal punishment. That prison of fear drives us to enslave ourselves to material idols, false gods, and false doctrine. All who defy God's commandments find themselves under that penalty. It is our penalty which God anointed Jesus with in the Jordan so that we would cease to be prisoners of fear and the penalty of death. In his crucifixion, which he continuously bears the marks of, Jesus took our place under that penalty. Through the rejection and death of Jesus, God has proclaimed freedom for us from that captivity. He also proclaims recovery of sight to the blind. The people of Nazareth who witnessed Jesus growing up around them saw only Christ's human nature. Is this not Joseph's son? They could not see the divine nature of the Messiah in their midst who was spoken of in Isaiah's prophecy. Their sin and disbelief blinded them to the union of divine and human natures in the person of Christ. They were rejecting the truth that salvation could only be accomplished for them by God in the flesh. As Martin Chemnitz once wrote concerning the two natures of Christ, this union took place for us men and for our salvation and was directed toward the work of redemption and the rule and priesthood of the Messiah. For since the redemption had to take place through suffering and death, the human nature was necessary. And since the serpent's head had to be crushed by divine power through death, the divine nature was also necessary in the person of the Redeemer. The Holy Spirit then, in union with Christ's divine nature, revealed that union in the prophecy of Isaiah, read and fulfilled in the midst of the unbelieving people of Nazareth. Yet, Jesus recognized their disbelief, comparing it to the disbelief of northern Israel in the time of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Like northern Israel before them, they were blinded to the truth of who God is and what he had promised to do. Even with 20-20 vision, a person could not see Christ for who he is if not for the power of the Holy Spirit. That power in which Jesus returned to Galilee to proclaim the kingdom of God. That power which has called us by the gospel, enlightened us with his gifts, sanctified and kept us in the one true faith. In baptism, we have been given the eyes to see Jesus for who he really is and why he came. A divine and human savior for sinners like us. On the cross and in the empty tomb, we are shown the truth of Jesus as he was sent, that we might recover our sight, fix our eyes upon him, and regain a right understanding of ourselves as God's own children and heirs to his eternal kingdom. The power of the Holy Spirit restores sight of who God is, the sight we lost when our first parents fell into sin. Adam and Eve lost their vision of who God is and the benefits his word brings when they gave in to temptation. They fell into the oppression that comes with rejecting the truth of God's word. In their rejection of God's word, they believed they could be their own God, yet they found themselves naked and oppressed by the rejection of the truth. Yet they were promised forgiveness of their sin. God promised 
and now proclaims to us the forgiveness of sin. But that forgiveness is there whether we see it or not. It is objective. In Christ, all sin is forgiven for the whole world. The benefits of God's forgiveness comes to us through faith. But our faith is not the cause of God's forgiveness. It is not by our faith that God becomes man. It is not due to our faith that Christ goes to the cross. Our faith could not raise Christ from the dead. Our faith could not force the Father to accept the Son's sacrifice as an atonement for sin. In truth, our faith is a gift from God, the very presence of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, at work in us. Our faith is the result of God's gracious favor shown to the whole world in the person of Jesus. Jesus was sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, favor which is far greater than what is shown by earthly authorities to their subjects. The prophecy in Isaiah declaring the year of the Lord's favor connects the person of Christ to the year of jubilee commanded in Leviticus. That moment of Christ's proclamation in Nazareth began the time when the debt of sin was to be canceled and those who had been slaves to sin would be freed along with their children. A time of freedom and grace for all who suffer. A time of redemption to those held captive. A time of deliverance to the poor from want and refreshment for those who had suffered long and weary burden. In his word, God reveals that the year of his favor is rooted in the death and resurrection of Christ. The proclamation of this year of favor is based upon the nature of who Christ is, not just his work of redemption. This favor is proclaimed now as the good news of his death and resurrection is preached from the pulpit. Right now in your very hearing, scripture is fulfilled. What we have here at the altar in the baptismal font is the favor that Christ proclaimed as we are brought into contact with the living God in his word by means of water, bread, and wine. We receive the favor God has shown us. We are freed from our sin, released from the bondage of our own mortality. As we confess our sin and hear the words of absolution, we hear the word of our Lord speak comfort and peace to us, fulfilling in our own hearing that favor he'd promised. This is favor the world cannot give, nor does it know it. Yet in the cool water of baptism, you and I are known to God. And in receiving the bread of peace, we receive the benefits of God's favor as it is fulfilled. In Christ, in Christ, God makes himself known to us and his favor. The words of scripture spoken through the prophet Isaiah recorded the promise of God's favor to all men long before they were fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The promise of God's favor was recorded throughout Scripture as attested by John in in chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. When Jesus came to Nazareth and read from the scroll of Isaiah, he read those words not just for the people there present, but for you and me as well. In those words, in those words, Fulfilled in our hearing, God declares his favor toward us. What good news this is for sinners. The what, what, what wonderful freedom there is from enslavement to sin. Our sight can now be recovered so that we can see God and ourselves with true clarity. We can now be released from the oppression of disbelief through the forgiveness of our sin. 
Now we can be rich in life with the power of the Holy Spirit and we can live as God's children, inheriting the glory of eternal life in his everlasting kingdom. Amen.